1: Plushcare.com slash weight loss. G'day and welcome to this week's Farms Advice Agribusiness Podcast, where we talk about how to grow your agribusiness through efficiencies. And lifting your productivity i'm your host jack creswell and for this week especially i hope you're sitting tight a lot of the listeners are probably within lockdown across australia uh, but we're pretty heavy here with dubbo having quite a lot of cases so we're stuck out on farm and just going in for the essentials which is also a really good aspect of working within agriculture we do have that aspect of Lots of land that we can cover um, and we're not locked up in a little box like some may be. So hope you're doing well and keeping occupied inside or outside, wherever you may be. But let's move on into this week's episode. This week's episode is fantastic. This week, we bring it up to episode 60, Cracking the Big six oh. We head down south, down to South Australia to Canary Paul Marino's. We're talking with Monica Lay, a Livestock Manager who has recently gone down to South Australia to take on her new role. She's young and full of energy for her region, her community, wool in particular and her journey working within Livestock. Let's dive in and see what a typical day looks like for Monica. Monica, how are you going?
0: Good, thank you. Jack, how are you?
1: Really good. Good to have you on the show as you just had your ram sale yesterday, didn't you?
0: Yes, we did.
1: How's, How's everything? For sure. Thanks for coming up as after the sales are actually pretty busy as well. We know here as a stud. Um, but yourself, how did the sale go within the COVID restrictions in South Australia?
0: Uh, pretty good considering we were the first ram sale of the year and now that South Australia has been in lockdown. Starting of this week, we were yep. quite pleased that we were actually able to go ahead with added COVID precautions. But I believe I'm now the poster girl of COVID safe ram sales.
1: Beautiful. Well, it's a good thing for yourself that you could get it underway and also rev up the production across your region. Now, just introduce mm-hmm. us a little bit to your study and who you're working with.
0: So I'm the livestock manager of Kanawi, which is a pole merino stud and also a commercial mixed livestock and cropping enterprise in the upper southeast of South Australia. So we're actually one of the longest pole merino studs continuously running across the country. We were established in 1914. Um, Poles were very unheard of in 1914, but... um, we have been doing it for over 107 years. So we're quite proud of that history behind us. And uh, and we also have a, a pole commercial sheep flock and also Angus cattle here.
1: Yeah, great stuff. So before we get down to the agribusiness, the business side of things, can you tell us a bit about mm-hmm. what your background is and how it landed you here in your current role?
0: Yep. No worries. So I actually grew up on a dairy farm in the Key Wharf Valley just out of Aubrey-Wodonga in northeast Victoria. And I always thought I was going to be a dairy farmer until I realized that waking up at 3am every day of the week did not suit me one bit. So I put myself into Bachelor of Agricultural Science at Charles Sturt in Wagga yep. and completed that in 2017 and went straight into postgraduate studies for animal science while I was working with the New South Wales local land services as a livestock officer. And that was where I thought I wanted to be, working in a government type role, assisting producers to be sustainable and achieve their production goals. But it wasn't enough time on farm for me. So I left the department, and I was a very young station manager at 24 years old in the Riverina, managing a cattle and goat station just out of Narrandera there. And upon upon leaving there, I had just completed my wool classing certificate and wanted to return to working to sheep. So jumped the border and moved to South Australia for an amazing opportunity to be a stud manager.
1: Beautiful. Where are you actually from? Are you from South Australia or?
0: No, I'm from from Kiwa. I'm from Kiwa in northeast Victoria. So halfway between Albury and Falls Creek.
1: You're right. So you're jumping across all the states to chase your tail and learning yourself as a livestock manager.
0: Yes, I've worked. I've worked everywhere up to Narrabri in New South Wales, working in cotton. I've worked in grains and dairy, sheep, cattle, horticulture trees, everything, and now I've jumped the border into South Australia. The first time I actually came to South Australia was when I came to check out the farm that I currently manage, so bit of how a trip did, for me. How did you
1: get pulled across all the way to South Australia from New South Wales?
0: Headhunting. Yeah. <laughs> um, my, my employer um, was really looking for someone exactly like me. He yep. tried to have a working system where the managers were of his age and everything and it just wasn't working out. He wanted someone young, highly educated and motivated to take it on. As he, He's retiring age and doesn't yep. have any children on farm. So he wanted someone who would be able to take on in the absence of his children. So, yep. Yeah,
1: well, I bet that's a very similar story to a lot of people out there. Did it worry you at all the huge gap like literally in the distance from home, or from where you're currently situated in New South Wales, or didn't worry at all.
0: Not, no, no, not terribly much. So, um, from where I am in South Australia back home, it's I can I can get home in a day, um, not with state border closures and everything yep. like that. But it's it's an eight hundred kilometer drive, which most most country people just said, oh, that's just a short trip into town. So. No, it's not. It's not too much. My parents haven't been able to really visit much more than a week or so since I moved here almost two years ago. Yeah. And um, and I'm a bit isolated in that like where I moved here. I, di- I didn't know anyone in South Australia, so it's very hard to make friends or meet young people. So a lot of my friends are over the age of 45, and and we get, and I'm probably young enough to be their daughter, but they invite me over for dinner and we all have great fun so it's a very welcoming rural agricultural community around here that it doesn't particularly matter if you're not a local and you're introduced into the area and it doesn't matter what your age is so long as you are passionate about what you do and you're kind you're accepted in so yeah
1: yeah I think that goes to show like Aussie Ag down to the T whatever your region like if you're a young person moving in or even an older person moving in You're going to be accepted and it's a pretty, like it's a good way to bond with others and just to see what the neighbors doing as well, isn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah. Everyone just wants to build you up. And all my neighbours attended the ram sale we had yesterday as well, which was good to see. I haven't seen them in quite a while with seeding and lambing and everything going on, but it was all very good that they were able to attend and check out the day for sure.
1: Beautiful. Well, great to see you've really got your... Put on the ground with starting off in your government role, but seeing that you needed to get your hands a bit dirtier. Um, what would you see like that create a really good basis for you moving into this role?
0: Definitely. my time working with the local land services in New South Wales was invaluable. It able it connected me to just a range of farming systems that I was otherwise not exposed to and I was working hand in hand with land care groups and other farming groups and sheep producer groups and things like that, that I just was able to spitball ideas around. Everyone had a different experience. And as I was working there in the height of the New South Wales drought, we had a lot of discussions in the two sheep groups I ran in Corowa and a bit more north of there in the Murray district of sheep producer groups where there was producers who'd experienced droughts since the 60s. And then there was others who this was their first drought and it was what have we learned and how can we sort of learn from each other as a farming community to help get through this this trying time.
1: Yeah, it's great to see that you can bounce off others just to see how they've done it for yourself as a first starter on farm Mm
0: -hmm. um,
1: as Mm -hmm. such and seeing how you can take different elements from others going through the drought. Great to see. For yourself, what does a day look like as a livestock manager at Canary?
0: So every day starts off with uh, checking of my remote tank monitoring systems just to make sure I've not had a water leak overnight. So the last four or five months, I've had telemetry services on my tanks, which yep. mean I can just check check the water level on all our tanks to make sure we haven't had a rapid loss overnight. So I check those first up and then I have a meeting with the rest of my farm staff and we go across the plan for today and make sure that all stock are fed and watered, especially if where we are in South Australia we get wild coastal weather that usually comes in about lunchtime particularly during winter. So all stock movements are done before lunch and if there's any adverse weather coming in the afternoon, we make sure we batten down the hatches and things like that. But I have, I have a, one farmhand who works full-time with me, and then I have contractors who come and go doing cropping and mechanical things as well. So my farmhand and I, we do 99% of all fencing and everything like that as well. So we just continually make lists of jobs that needs to be done as we are doing other things, if that makes sense. So we've just finished weaning. We weaned all our lambs, which was a tight schedule we had to get done before we had our ram sale. We finished weaning a week ago. Next week I've got to take bulls out, and then from a week from Monday we're shearing for a week again. So everything's got to be done in a set period of time, otherwise we're overbooked and got 10 things going on at once.
1: Yeah, so... The theme of like using your communication effectively, a toolbox meeting each day, how how much does that help you set out your day, but or is even to get your tasks done on time as a farm?
0: So it's handy to have everyone up to speed every morning. Like I'll at in the afternoon, we'll have a recap saying, all right, this is the plan for tomorrow. And so these are the things that need to get done priority-wise. Obviously. Priorities can change throughout the day. Something could happen that needs great attention, like a busted water pipe or something like that. But the toolbox meetings are very helpful to get staff up to speed so they know what is expected of them that day and if there's anything else that needs shuffling around that they had originally prioritised for them.
1: Yeah, great stuff. And the introduction of technology onto the farm, the water monitoring system. Mm -hmm. How does that help you or save you time on farm?
0: So, especially, uh, it'll be incredibly time saving once summer comes around. Yeah. Because we only have, we've got 10,000 acres, only run off three bore pumps. So, we have something like 128 troughs, especially over summer, if one of those bores dies or there's a, Leak from the tank or something, stock can be without water within half a day just because yeah. of the volume that they are consuming. So, having a notification that the tank is less than 40% volume or something like that means I get there before airlocks happen, before stock are out of water, and I know it's happening then and there. And it doesn't take a two or three hour in the morning, particularly in summer, to make sure all the tanks are up and running and there's pressure on the lines. Doing it manually because, like I said, we've got 10,000 acres. So to drive across to all the tanks where my telemetry systems are, sometimes it's a 20K round trip Yeah. through paddocks. So it's very time-consuming for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And be able to see what's going on from the office or wherever you are is really beneficial as well. Who's cleaning these 120-so troughs for you?
0: Me, <laughs> myself, and my farm hand are doing it all. Yeah, yeah. so we do we do all on farm operations. The owner, as I mentioned earlier, he's of retiring age, yep. so he does primarily a lot of the financial side of stuff, the bookwork, and all the official business side of everything. But I run all farm operations day to day.
1: Yeah, great stuff. And liaising with him, how important is it to know? For yourself as a livestock manager, the financial situation, or like do you know much about that area of the business?
0: Yes, it's it's important to know what I'm in charge of and working with budgets and everything like that for feedstock purchases and for selling of livestock to make sure that the output is meeting what we need to meet in terms of benchmarking. So yeah, no, it's it's very important and Speaking on livestock technology that I've also put on farm, we've also been switched to the e for our wool, which we'll be doing for the second time around on WoolQ. And I've also put the whole farm onto AgriWeb because when I got here two years ago, everything was just paper-based, written in a diary. And I've got 50 plus years of diaries stored in the homestead office here that probably haven't been opened since since they were put in the bookshelf. So, yeah, it was very, yeah, you couldn't see last year's history right in front of you. But storing it in a recording app or a farm management app, you can look back on everything straight away.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you don't have to chase them around. I used to have to chase dad around just to see how many numbers were in each paddock or whatnot because he had the book. Um, but that's a great thing to do like it's a growing technology i suppose for livestock producers it's not fully adopted um it'd be great to see once it is fully adopted what the benefits are because the developments mm-hmm. are only going to keep growing for us as producers as well definitely hope you're enjoying this episode thought i'd just jump in and say for any agricultural events out there if you were listening If you're within the committee of the event and you have been cancelled by lockdowns, by the pandemic, for agricultural-based events, they're vital for our community and are the lifeblood of sharing knowledge. And they're on the front line of new pieces of technology, but also techniques. So if I can help you reach a new audience and also your existing audience across the airwaves or the Farmswise podcast, I'd love to help out. If you could email through to farmsvice.com.au we'll lend a helping hand to connect with your audience. Let's get back into the episode. Something I saw on Twitter caught my eye. Are you actually allergic to lamb and wheat?
0: Yeah, I am. I'm a sheep and grain producer that's allergic to lamb and wheat i i think it's genetic that i'm allergic to lamb because myself my mother brother grandmother two cousins and an auntie none of us can eat lamb but i'm the worst affected so i can't even have sheep dairy yeah. and even though i was a goat farmer in in Narandra there i also discovered that i can't have goat dairy and i'm also allergic to goat meat as well so yeah it's a it's a tough time but I pull through. So it makes hard um, for things like for things like um, when Age I testing. have to do. Yeah, well, that too. But it, it's testing when I have to do things like on-farm autopsies and things like that. So um, I just I really am strict on PPE, having gloves and, and everything like that because I think I'm not entirely sure what causes it, but it's kind of like... The Experiences are kind of like it's a salmonella reaction or a food poisoning reaction, to it. right? So, I even when
1: you touch it, not just eating it,
0: no, no, it's secondary contamination. So, for instance, if I was to eat barbecue patties that were cooked on the same barbecue that lamb chops were cooked on, or used with the same pair of tongs, I'd be sick, I'd yep. be very, very ill. So, um, I've got to be, it's even yesterday, I had to make sure that. <laughs> My my burgers and onions were cooked first before anyone put any sausages on because a lot of sausages actually have mutton as a byproduct because they're manufactured on the same processing facility. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm ultra careful with that and and yeah, with wheat, I have a, a serious skin allergy. So, yeah, quite tricky. But I know plenty of dairy farmers who are lactose intolerant and use orange juice in their cereal instead of milk. So.
1: Orange juice. There you go. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, just another obstacle to throw at you that you have to overcome. But moving on, what do you think your biggest challenges are, apart from being allergic to lamb and wheat in the industry throughout your various different roles?
0: So one of my biggest challenges is probably the ability to get ideas taken across. Yep. The sheep industry is very in my experience, I know a lot of others have a different experience, but in my experience, it's very traditional and everyone's sort of got a path that they're stuck on or that they've done for eons. I've worked in the dairy industry and it's a lot more technology advanced. They've got a lot more short courses, dairy farmers and and their children or their staff are routinely doing pasture grazing courses and everything on top of that. But The sheep industry and also the grazing beef industry, for the last five or six years that I've been fully involved in both of them, I haven't actually come across the same level of short school training that the dairy industry have. And I know the cotton industry have it as well, but just yeah, short courses and keeping everyone up to speed. Just because you learnt this 30 years ago doesn't mean something else has popped up. There's another new idea that you can learn from. So I think that's a big challenge is the ability to actually have access to new training and ideas as an industry where sub-industry of being the sheep and wool industry, yeah.
1: Yeah, I was actually talking about this last night, how other industries have CPD, it's career professional development. So you need to get Mm -hmm. your 20 points each year if you're a nurse or something. Maybe it's similar to something like that we need for farming. You need to collect 20 points with your short courses throughout the year.
0: Maybe short courses or attending webinars or seminars or just being able to pick up new ideas. I covered a lot of that when I was working with the local land services because I ran workshops and everything like that. And there was evaluations, which I know everyone hates filling out evaluation worksheets after workshop. But it was, did you learn anything new? Did you improve your knowledge or your skills? And if so, are you planning to make any practice changes on farm? Like if you've learned something new and you're not planning to implement it, why not? So, yeah, and finding the barriers between that. But maybe, maybe I think you're right, having maybe KPIs throughout the agricultural industry, particularly livestock production on farm, make everyone grow better as an industry.
1: Yeah, I think that may be the way to go. There's a lot of things coming up with you can DNA your livestock now for stud purposes mm-hmm. rather than. And it's mo- a lot cheaper. Yeah. It's
0: a lot cheaper as well. I remember five or six years ago, it was two or three times the price, but now it's down to something like $35 for a TSU tissue ear sample from the ear. Five or six years ago, it was almost $100 a head. So it was not financially feasible for a lot of producers.
1: Yeah. And the more adoption sure. that happens there, the cheaper it is going to get because they're allowed to reduce the costs because more are coming in mm-hmm. but looking mm-hmm. back on your introduction to Kanawi um Paul Marino's what have you introduced anything there that has like technology wise
0: so we started putting in EID ear tags in our stud lands yep. last year at landmarking. I it incredibly helped even just yesterday I programmed all our sale rams into my stick reader with the lot number on it so we weren't manually reading tags and then putting them into their pen respectively because I have a lot of contractors my stud groom for instance is colorblind so she can't see tag color difference she just tells me the number and then I've got to guess what color it 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 attaches to so programming them all into a stick reader was way more efficient yep. than, last year's, than last year's RAM sale when we had the livestock agents wrangling a RAM, reading out his tag number. I had to scroll through the catalog and find out what lot number he was. So, no, definitely for sure. And in the future, I'm planning on getting a better livestock handling facility with like a sheep handler that can have the full reading and weighing and everything like that in there. But the ear tags are a, a good start at the moment because once they're in the stud lambs over seven years, all the stud animals will have them on farm. And even in our commercial flock, we are fully self-replacing; we don't buy in any ewes. Yep. So it would just be good to really know an individual animal's background for their lifetime as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. We're at the same stage on our farm as well. We started doing them last year, so we'll start to get the benefits of using the EID tags on farm as well what Mm -hmm. what do you see being the barrier of using erd was there a barrier with your with the owner of the place of canary
0: um there was a slight barrier but it was mostly you know our sheep already our stud stock especially the stud ewes already have free tags in their ear so i just worked it into the nlis pick tag So it's an electronic NLS pick tag and not just a whole additional new tag. That way, you know, sheep don't have five or six different tags in their ears plus notches, and then it all gets confusing. So I've worked it into the one existing tag that was already there. We don't have the price discount, unlike Victorian producers, when it was first introduced as compulsory in Victoria. But I would like to see it. like, Like I figured if Victoria's done it, Other states are going to make it compulsory like they did in cattle in the nineties. It's going to happen at some point just for a biosecurity standpoint, it should happen regardless, you know, but um, yeah, the cost, I think the cost of things more than anything was a a big thing. Like I said, it's what it's a dollar 70 for a sheep tag compared to to 25, 30 cents for a non-electronic equivalent. So the cost can be quite there, but, Considering we're non, we we don't buy in ewes. We don't have to put electronic tags in ewes that we didn't breed. So we only put the tags in our stud-born lambs. And at the moment, maybe next year I might put them in all our commercial lambs too, or at least just the commercial ewe lambs because we don't retain weathers. Yep. So then I can trace as a percentage-wise the amount of ewes that we are keeping that are born in the commercial side to see if we've got enough retained or if you know if they're born in the stud are they remaining in the stud or are they stud born lands that are being joined as commercial breeders as two-year-olds so even just seeing that would be good but as I said with our with our multiple tag system in the ears the owner was actually mentioning to me a couple of days ago that when he took over from his father in 1997 I think there was no sheep tags everything was just ear notched and I don't know how anyone can draft on an ear notch when it's at the back of the ear or even even sheep running towards you fast enough in the dark shed how are you meant to pick who's who really so yeah so we have our pick tag like i said an electronic pick tag and then we've got a family colored tag which all of our ewes have which help us visually identify what their sire was at birth so that information can all be stored on the electronic tag when we get there, but um, I just need those systems in place and probably sheep handling facilities a bit updated and then we'll get there.
1: Yeah, well, it does remove a lot of the human error. As farmers, we do make errors here and there, but like it is pretty annoying if you let one go into the wrong mob and you have to bring them back in, even when it's in, just in the yards. Um, it can save you that time and also times. time is money when we're farming As labors that, biggest cost currently.
0: Definitely for sure labor saving is one of the biggest things for electronic IDs in sheep in cattle in whatever. if it just helps you individually identify an animal instead of manually reading tags or walking around a pen trying to find the one with a black tag in a in a mob of white tags or whatever, it's just saves you a whole heap of stress.
1: Yeah totally and I just had Sarah's tag David Smith the CEO, come on on a previous episode. And a lot of the value is hidden behind what actually the tag is other than just reading it. There's a lot of value that you can get from using EID tags to start to digitise what your like your data on farm as well.
0: Definitely. And like I said, how we've got the farm put onto AgriWeb now, they have just recently released an individual animal management aspect to that app, which yep. came out in May, I think. So more farm management apps updating the ability to have the individual animal management on an app-based situation, not on a web-based formula. There's a lot of programs that are web-based only. But to be able to have it in your phone or on your iPad when you're in the paddock and you can look up your individual animal data while you're there looking at them, big help, huge thing in the industry to have.
1: Yeah, definitely. And moving on, as a young person working with agriculture, where do you see connecting consumers to what the products are within like you're a pole merino, so you're a wool producer as well. Do you see that there mm-hmm. could be a connection from fashion to connect wool to the consumer? Say like your wool is turned into a garment, a fitness garment. Would you like to see that sort of connection happen down the line?
0: Definitely for sure. Well, most of our wool is actually turned into athleisure gear. So it would be good to have individual traceability. I think you've had it on the podcast before, maybe with Emma Turner, how she talked about QR codes scanning on individual documents, uh, individual garments, yep. and it traces you back to the farm that that wool came from.
1: I know there's a lot
0: of that in men's Italian suit fashion as well. Um, like MJ Bale, they have the individual suits lined up to the individual bale of wool that that suit came from. But having it on a broader scale for less high-end garments would be a great idea. Like I know at the moment I'm wearing nine different items of Merino-based clothing. And, and even yesterday, everyone was complimenting me on my mask, which was a Merino wool mask. So I was, yeah, I, um, buy Merino everything where possible, which I think um, more people should do. It's an environmentally conscious decision to steer away from fast fashion. so Yeah,
1: and it's a natural fibre.
0: Natural fibre, biodegradable, moisture wicking, you know, easy care and everything like that. And it lasts a lot longer than $5 cotton, or not even cotton, but polyester version of things. And it keeps you warm when you need to be warm and it keeps you cool when you need to be cool.
1: Yeah, definitely. Where'd you get the face mask for a selfless plug? For anyone, if if the COVID-19 continues.
0: Yeah, from Merino Country. So they're an Australian business that produce Merino-based or athleisure gear, thermal socks, and also underwear. So they have boxes and sports crops and everything like that. And they're a great business to have go to. And yeah, face masks and just everything. It's incredibly soft fabric very well made and I'm really happy about my mask and I bought another one this week as well considering the South Australia lockdown was the longest one so far we're what in our fifth or sixth day of lockdown total since COVID but um, you never know might need a backup so yeah definitely for
1: sure. That's it well beautiful good to see that you're so interested in what it's like and I actually came across you on Twitter so you're quite vocal on there and of an advocate for what you're doing i'm
0: yeah i make i make a lot people tell me i make a lot of noise on twitter i don't know if that's a good or a or a bad thing or if i'm taking it as a compliment but i think i like to start conversations and i think that's what needs to happen a lot of the time is asking questions and just seeing other people's experience on things one of the best places to do it on twitter because ag twitter is just huge and if you're a farmer, if you're not on Twitter, you're missing out on so many discussions that happen just over the country or not even over the country. I have I have sheep producers from New Zealand, from South Africa, from England, and everyone just message me saying, you know, we want to know the Australian way of doing X, Y, Z. What's your experience with this? And I even have other stud breeders message me saying, do you know of any research on, you know, six monthly shearing for lamb survival or something like that so it's great place for advice and for resources and just for conversations particularly in agriculture
1: yeah definitely and the everyday sort of farmers are on twitter as well so it is very conversational and you can get get lost in all the threads going on it's great to see that you're vocal for the industry as well but for any like stigmas Associated to working within agriculture as a young female working as a livestock manager is quite a good role to be in. What would you like to debunk anything out there that people would associate for your role and yourself?
0: I would like to debunk, I don't know if I'll be able to, but I'd like to debunk that just because we're young, or anyone, just because someone's young, just because someone's small, just because someone might not have. Growing up on a farm, just because someone hasn't spent 50 years in the one industry doesn't mean that their experience and their opinions aren't valid and that they aren't capable of doing something that they're passionate about.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'd love to debunk that as well. Um, doesn't matter your background, where you've come from, but it just matters what you're going to do and whether you're passionate about it.
0: Yeah, it matters if you care about your cause and that's it.
1: Definitely, I agree. With your background, touching on a few different industry sectors of agriculture, it's led you in a bit of an all-rounder position for the livestock manager, knowing how different industries work or even approaching a new association to see how you can better it, but also your self-development as well.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely, definitely for sure. Having experience on a broad range of agricultural industries and different types of farm systems, you're able to draw off what works where and how and what you like doing as well. And that was what I really tried to focus on was having a, an experience in a little bit of everything of agriculture to see what part really fit
1: me. Yeah, definitely. So your one piece of farms advice for another younger person out there in agriculture or not in agriculture. What would you give them to give them a kickstart to just go and do it?
0: Read read everything read the newspaper read research journals read press releases read market updates just keep on top of issues and emerging issues and innovation and ideas that are in not just the industry that you're focused in but as broader agriculture i think keeping on touch of a lot of these things just really makes you way more well rounded and yep. your ability to adapt to change and risk management is just overall increased
1: great stuff great farms advice thank you very much monica who else would you like to hear on the farms about farms advice podcast and why
0: i'd really like to hear emily stretch on the farms advice podcast she is a young farmer in southern western australia and she has a microscope on farm so she does a lot of her own fecal egg counts and everything on farm which i think is great cool. Like there's a lot of things you can send to the lab and everything, but imagine doing it real time on farm, being able to just look at whatever you need to look at culture things. I think it's just something really interesting to have on farm. And it's a, it's a different piece of technology. Again, how many farmers have their own microscope? Honestly, not many.
1: I don't think there's too many out there. That's great nomination there. If she's listening or if not, I'll get in touch. I think I've seen her name floating about, so we'll have to get in touch. you
0: probably would have. You've, I did tell her last night that I was going to dob her in, so. Ah, uh, good stuff. <laughs>
1: Beautiful. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Monica. Um, just to see how you're running as a young livestock manager and to see what your day-to-day is, I think it's pretty important to showcase what farmers are doing of all ages out there and down in South Australia as well, a new territory mm-hmm. for Farm Advice podcast. For anyone wanting to reach out to you, how can we reach out to you for Paul Marino's, but also for your own knowledge?
0: So I am on Instagram and Twitter at Lee, L-E-Y underscore Monica. And Kanawi Paul Marino is on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Kanawi
1: 12. Beautiful. Thank you for coming on the show just one day after your sale. We'll be keeping in touch further down the line.
0: No worries. Thank you very much for having me,
1: Jack. Thanks for tuning in to episode 60. I thought it was a ripper with myself and Monica. Thank you, Monica, for your time and showing us what your day-to-day looks like down south. If you do like this episode, please make sure you share it on your socials or let us know in an Apple podcast review. Five stars would be pretty handy so that we can help other farmers and reach farmers right across Australia until next Tuesday keep on farming and stay safe today thanks for sticking around right to the end of this episode if you'd like to join a tight knit community online with the Farms Advice Facebook group please do so request to access that community really vibrant people that are innovative in on their farm as owners or they're providing a service to farmers so you can really connect to people that are also listening to the farm Advice podcast I highly recommended and i'll see you next week
0: imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time